Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. has the Nintendo Action Set. It comes with control deck, two game controllers, zapper light gun, and double game pack. All for just $99.99. And with all the hottest game cartridges from $29.99 to $59.99, Toys R Us is Nintendo headquarters. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 29 of Graveyard Duck Podcast. With you, as always, my name is Scott. And I'm Wes. All right, Wes. Um, so we're bouncing back and forth here, like we always do. Your pick, my pick, and I think we're both on a roll of trying to go a little bit more obscure. Um, right. right. You, we kind of had a talk off mic about, you know, do we want to do more of the games that like everybody's played, or is it fun to kind of spotlight some games that maybe people haven't heard? And hmm. I, th- I think finding there's there's a good balance that can be found. But with this yeah. one, I definitely tried to go off the beaten path and was. Um, picked one that i think some people know of but uh based on responses on facebook and social media i don't think this is a really well-known game <laughs> no no there's uh there's a lot of question marks out there and you know a few people have heard of it um of course we're, we're talking about Arkista's ring um and yeah i think it's it's probably it's a game that your average um nes owner probably didn't play but um for those of us that enjoy seeking out games that uh on the hardware that we haven't played um, I think it's kind of got sort of a little bit of a cult following and, and a very niche one at that, but right. um, I, there are some people that have heard of this. So this came out uh, for the NES developed by NMK published by American Sammy. You probably heard of these companies or at least the, mm. the Sammy logo is usually pretty big and prominent on uh, their cartridges. Yeah. Some of the other Sammy games that you might've heard of were uh, twin Cobra Mm-hmm. Uh, Vice Project Doom or Might and Magic Secret of the Inner Sanctum. Those were all Sammy Ninja games. Warriors. I'm sorry? Ninja Warriors? Was that Sammy also? I think so, yeah. Or it was NMK. It was one of the two, but that's probably at the time that was probably their most famous game. Yeah, NMK developed it and they did some of the uh, Bomb Jack games. They did Ninja Crusaders for the NES, which is another one I might do as an episode down the road. Another very obscure game that I had mm-hmm. fun with as a kid, but yeah, this came out in June of 1990. So we are very, very late in the NES era. Um, so not too surprising that it didn't make a huge splash. Probably a lot of people were very excited and moving on to the Super Nintendo at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, also explains why it's got a, a slightly higher than average price tag for the retro gaming. I think carts right now are sitting around 25 bucks. So. A little bit, a little bit harder to find, a little more obscure, but um, yeah, it's, it's floating out there. Virtual console or anything like that. This, I don't believe this is one that's really seen a re-release at all. No, not definitely not one that I know of. Um, even trying to dig up some information for this, like the Wikipedia page has about three sentences, I think. <laughs> so, I mean, we uh, might be able to add more to the Wikipedia page after the episode, and then we can just you know plug our name in there. Yeah, there you go. I've I mean, never, I've never written a Wikipedia page, but. I mean, I, I don't think anybody's going to be claiming our spot on the Arkista's Ring, you know, uh, Wikipedia page, but I could be wrong. I <laughs> it, it just makes me think of, like, back to, like, the early 2000s, like, you know, getting on, like, Game Facts or Game FAQs or whatever you call it, and, like, trying to find the most obscure game and then just posting something on the board, like, I like cheese or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what people used to do, so. Um, all right, so I'm guessing you don't have too much nostalgia to talk about on this one. I really don't because, like I said, I this is my first time playing it. But it, it, oddly enough, 
the the thought that did pop into my head if if I were to have some sort of nostalgia for this game, the best way I could describe it is this is a game that I would probably have seen at KB Toys, you know, marked down for like nine ninety nine or something like that because it it feels to me like one of the games that like you walked into a store looking for let's say Super Mario Brothers two or something like that. And like, you know, somebody like KB Toys or Montgomery Ward, maybe at the time or Sears, like, you know, maybe they were sold out of that, but they probably had like 20 copies of Arkista's ring. Right. You know, so I don't know. It's, it's odd to describe, but this is kind of how I see it a little bit. Like this, this could be a game that, um, you know, maybe you ask for a game for Christmas and your aunt gets you this one because it's cheap. Right. Yeah. I, I actually do remember this from growing up. Uh, yeah. I think if you've, been listening to any episode of this podcast before you know that one of my favorite things in the world to do growing up was renting games and of all the places that i ever had to go rent you know you never got the big a-list games they just weren't Mm -hmm. available they were checked out and nobody returned them or you know the store never got the a-list games to begin with so most of what i was renting were these kind of second rate you know sometimes even down the third tier games that you may or may not have heard of right but they had these giant high artwork awesome uh covers mm-hmm. sometimes which were accurate about what the game was sometimes not at all but you know <clears throat> if, if the artwork could sell me i'd pay the three dollars to rent it for the weekend mm-hmm. and Arkista's ring is one that i think if if there's one thing people know about this game it's the cover yeah and it's it's a really prominent display of this you know anime style female elf you know shooting a bow and arrow right toward the uh, viewer with this big almost like robotic demon shogun thing standing behind her like it's a very cool picture mm-hmm. and when you think 1990 this was you know, in the height of all of these great adventure games. Like we had our dragon warriors, we had our Zeldas, we had our wizards and warriors games. And so you see something like this and it's like, well, yeah, I loved all of those. I'm sure this is great too. And so it sold me uh, probably somewhere around maybe 92 was when I first rented this Hmm. and took it home and played it. And, you know, in that era also, I didn't believe that there was anything there, there was any such thing as a bad game. Like, oh, okay, there were games that were more challenging than others, games that had harder controls or that weren't programmed as well. But like, I was just so excited to get my hands on anything. I, I just didn't believe that there was such a thing as a bad game. There were just okay. some that t- needed more work. And so you never I, rented like Bill Lambert's Combat Basketball or michael jordan chaos in the windy city or anything like that i never did that but i did own bill elliott's nascar challenge so oh, yeah. Yeah. you know i mean <laughs> that's true um, yeah, another one that was probably 9.98 at toys r us you know oh if if that <laughs> yeah. but um yeah so and, and I, i'm not saying that as a preface to like g- give the impression that this is a bad game it's not no but, like I, I took this home and i didn't see it as just like a third tier adventure game like i saw it as like oh this is actually a lot of fun there's a lot of good stuff to be had here and my my perspective of it in 1992 as a 10 year old is very different than probably what you thought you know playing it this week for the first time Mm. and you know it's it's just a very different perspective but i i think there is a lot of good stuff here and i really liked it i enjoyed it i definitely didn't make it through the whole thing that first weekend I rented it, but I've gone back probably four or five times in my life and revisited this game, mm-hmm. uh, rented it, you know, a couple more times as I found it, or if there wasn't anything else on the shelf I wanted to get once emulators came back or, or came out and that kind of became a thing. This was one of the first games that I went to, to see like, Oh, I remember this, like, let's see if it's still fun and mm-hmm. enjoyed it even then, you know, around college and then, you know, since then I've picked it up again and played it. And so it's, it is a game that I enjoy and I will kind of stand behind and say it's, it's worth playing. Uh, I, I don't claim that it's great or that everybody should rush out and spend the 25 bucks for it. I don't know if it's quite worth that, but if you can find a cheap copy or, you know, if you, if you want to give it a shot, I, I, I think it is fun and there's a, there's a lot to be had here. And obviously that's what our discussion will be, but um, yeah, so it, it, it's one that I have been playing for, you know, off and on for the last 
20 years or so. Yeah. I wanted to go back to something real quick that you said earlier um, about uh, going to the the rental store and you know running games like this because like either the other ones were uh, were rented out or they just didn't have them. And it made me think of something, um, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, you know, I'm sure a lot of us probably went to these like mom and pop type video stores because they were everywhere. And it made me think of the fact that like, you know, in, in where I grew up, we went to a couple of different stores that were, you know, they were all just like mom and pop kind of rental places. And it made me think that, you know, back then you had to wait for like somebody, at least in where we grew up, um, you had to wait for somebody to go and like purchase the games from the store and then bring them back and get them ready to rent. Yeah. I don't know if you ever remember that experience, but it's like, you know, like, okay, if we knew, let's say a big title, like, oh, let's say Mega Man 2 is, is out or it's coming out. And you go to the rental store to try to rent it and they don't have it yet. And, you know, they're like, well, we're going to go out and get it and bring it back and whatever. And this makes me think, like, Arkista's Ring, for some reason, again, like I said in the beginning, like, it was probably pretty cheap when it was out. And this seems like one that, like, mom and pop stores would go out and get, not because it's popular, but because they didn't want to spend a lot of money for it. Yeah, probably. keep their costs pretty quick on a couple of rentals. So, I don't know. It just made me think of something. It's, it's something that... You know, in this day and age, you're not going to have that. But I think the closest I could equate that to now would be, to me, playing this game for the first time in 2018. To me, this feels like a two or three dollar indie title. Yes, and definitely. We'll yeah. get into that later a little bit too. But um, I just wanted to kind of um, just reminisce for a second about the video store because that that is kind of I think probably a truism a little bit for those of us that didn't have you know, Blockbuster and, and stuff like that around. Um, yeah, I never had a Blockbuster. And when when I first got my NES, we lived in Cincinnati and the the rental store there was definitely a little, like, I don't even know what chain it was, but I mean, it wasn't anything huge. It was definitely not a Blockbuster family video. And then when we moved to Illinois, uh, that that's when all of my rentals was actually from uh, grocery stores. They uh-huh. all had the little movie section and that's where i did all of my game renting yeah Um, the big difference that i remember between the two is that all of the grocery stores always had where they had the the plastic case Mm -hmm. with the game in it and you take that up to the shelf and check it out so if the game was gone there was just no anything left on the shelf yeah well the one in cincinnati the way they worked is they had the empty boxes on the shelf and a little pull tag Mm. hanging in front of them and you'd take the tag up and go check out the game so even if the game was checked out you still saw what the full selection was Mm -hmm. and that's where you know i remember when Mega Man 3 came out and walking into that video store and just staring at that box and every time getting my heart broken because of that empty tag you know hook because it was never there ever but Mm -hmm. The, the box is just staring you in the face. It's because, you know, of course, somebody checked it out and never brought it back or whatever. Right. But it, that was almost worse, like, because it's that tease that it could be here. <laughs> Whereas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had uh, uh, grown up. We had a couple different video stores in town, but uh, the one that we went to all the time was the Short Loin, which was uh, this. Are you sure that wasn't just a porn store? Well, I'll get to that because it. Okay. <laughs> but. but uh, yeah, so um, it was on, like, the other side of town where, like, my grandparents, uh, I had two sets of grandparents that we would visit on, like, Sundays or whatever. And so the short line was, like, a block away from, like, the um, my dad's mom, my grandmother, that we'd go and visit her in the afternoon. So I would, you know, sneak over there. And then, you know, my friends and I, when, when we could drive, like, you know, we'd go to the short line or whatever. So anyway, you go in there, and the first room is... Um, the grocery store part and they had a uh one of those um egg machines you know with the big hen in there there was no it was a parrot had this parrot and you put the money in it would drop an egg and it's a crappy toy whatever so to get to the video department you had to um go in you had to take a right and just go like up these stairs and they had this you know that section was all movies and video games but before you got to that on the left hand side was this little room and it had, you know, there was like a, a like a red light bulb in there, right? And I was like, <laughs> you know. And so uh, that was the uh, that was the porno room for um, like VHS uh, adult movies. So it became a thing, you know, for 
my friends and I try to like sneak in there, you know, and, and try to not get caught or whatever. So then later on, this is probably, this would have been like the super NAS era. Uh, you know, it was, became kind of a joke to go in there. And like, when we did go in there, like they had the light bulb was on like, you know, a string just hanging down from the ceiling, but hanging down from the string was like a raccoon tail just tied to the, you know, like a fake raccoon tail just tied there to, you know, turn on the light. So, um, it was just ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like we rented, uh, <laughs> I think we rented gator bait, uh, there one time and it was, you know, just, just this TNA movie, this, you know, the chick on the cover wearing the, the denim without the, you know, just open, open faced, you know, whatever. And it was terrible. It was God awful movie, but <laughs> you know, I don't know. It just, I, I love shit like that. Like thinking back, it's like, you know, the, the, the CD video store that, uh, you know, you went and rented your games at, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because that one in Cincinnati I was talking about, like the most prominent thing I could remember. And this was long before I was a you know big horror fan like I am now, but they had the big cardboard cutout diorama display of child's play Two. Oh, nice. With Chucky and the big 3d scissors cutting the Jack in the box hmm. or decapitating him. But, yeah, that was ingrained in my head. So when I started watching horror movies, I was like, oh, I got to see that movie. It's been uh-huh. like, I've been imagining what it could be um, for <laughs> 20 oh, years. Yeah. Years, yep. Um, anyway, yeah, let's let's talk Arkista's Ring a little bit. Oh, yeah, for sure. So the general plot of or story of this game is pretty simple. Uh, Arkista is actually the city or the elven kingdom, whatever. And the ring in the title is this magical item that kind of keeps the city and the elven community safe. And this evil Shogun decides he's going to steal the ring because he wants to enslave all the elves. So he steals the ring and that allows him to get the elven treasures, which is this uh, elf mirror and a wealth amulet. And so he steals all three things. And now you are this elf maiden named Christine who's basically on the mission to go kill the Shogun and recover the ring and the amulet and the mirror, if you can find them. Mm. Uh, it's a pretty simple game. It's 31 stages, if and it's in its truest form. And if, if you want to kind of picture what this game is like, imagine The Legend of Zelda, and a lot of people describe it as such, um, where the only weapon you have is the bow and arrow, and each stage is like a big maze, and there's just a series of enemies that are coming at you in very patterned form. And once you kill so many of them, a key will show up somewhere on the map. You go pick up the key and that allows you to open the door to the next stage, Mm -hmm. do this 30 times. And then you get to fight the Shogun who's in the 31st stage. Uh, It's, it's very simple. It kind of repeats itself a lot. You kind of, you, you get the hang of it pretty quickly and, it's kind of the it's kind of one of those things that can get boring if you're not really interested in seeing where it goes. Um, I would suggest that people stick with it because there's actually a lot of depth to it that you don't really realize the first time you play it. In fact, I had played through this several times before I realized that there was actually a lot more to it. Um, specifically, what you don't know is that once you complete the 31 stages, you kind of walk out of the castle there's a little bit of a happy fanfare and then you take a couple steps and it kind of resets and you're back in stage one although it calls it stage 32 but it's you know the map for stage one Mm -hmm. same monsters as before and you kind of just keep going and i was just like oh okay you can play like contra style and just kind of keep playing through the game and i what i didn't realize until several times through playing this is that it's not just a repeat, it's actually continuing the game. There's technically, I think what it comes out to, 124 Mm -hmm. stages in the game. So to beat the game properly, you have to go through this loop of 31 stages four different times. Once you've done it for the fourth time, that's when you get the actual ending. Um, Each loop through, the enemies get a little bit faster, they're harder to kill, you continue to keep finding items as you go. Um, but I think one of the most prominent things is that after you've finished the first loop, you now have Arkista's ring in your possession. And it's a really, really useful item that will actually heal you as you walk. So it kind of gives you an advantage as you're playing through you know, future loops. But um, yeah, it, it's just an interesting 
angle to the game where you feel like, oh, they're just kind of repeating themselves, but it actually does have more to it than that. Hmm. Interesting. Um, One of the other little kind of hidden things, well, two other hidden things in this game that I think are, you know, worth noting is, you know, I mentioned that there's the elf mirror and the wealth amulet that you have to find. Um, These two items are not just automatically handed to you. Like I kind of thought, oh, you get the ring the first time you are at the end of the first loop. Maybe you get the mirror at the end of the second loop, the amulet at the end of the third. And that's not the case. The The mirror and the amulet randomly are dropped by enemies and they could be dropped as early as the first loop through, or you might not find them till the fourth, or you might play through all 124 stages and not find them at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they do help you in the game, although it's arguable whether they're that useful at least the amulet. What it does is it's it, story-wise, it's supposed to be this item that gives you unlib- you know, the elf kingdom unlimited wealth. In the game, what it does is every time you take a step, you get 100 points to your score, mm-hmm. which does nothing. You don't get extra lives for it, but it is kind of cool to see your score just continually ticking up You know, as you reach a million, two million points. It kind of makes you feel like you're actually accomplishing something. Um, I mean, I guess if you, if you wanted to score attack this, that would be but it, it, it's completely random when you get it so it's right not- and even once you do just walk back and forth for you know 10 hours and you could have all the points in the world there's no time limit so yeah. um the mirror actually is pretty useful it makes you completely impervious to all projectile weapons even the shogun at the very end of the game so you can still take damage if something touches you but anything that fires bolts at you they they can't hurt you um so yeah once you get that plus the ring which like i said every few steps you heal hit points back it 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 really does kind of make this game more manageable uh especially considering by the time you get to say the third and fourth loop some of these enemies are incredibly tough because they're they're fast enough that you can't quite run away from them so it takes a lot of strategy and it's something that if if all you did is play through the loop you know, the, the first loop and say, okay, I killed the Shogun good enough. I know what this game is. You're not going to get the real flavor for it because that first loop is incredibly easy. And there's really not a whole lot of challenge there, even some of the later stages. So I think be- because you get like 10 continues, um, by the end of the game, you've got several hit points, like all sorts of items in your backpack. Like it, it's not a very difficult challenge if you have a little bit of you know gaming skill so if you did like i did the first several times i played it and beat the shogun after the first loop and say okay i get the idea and i quit you're really only scratching the surface of what the challenge of this game truly is yeah that makes sense i mean it's there's definitely more than meets the eye here so when you played it did you understand because like I, i i didn't want to spoil that for you and i didn't know if you realized that there was more to just the one loop or did you play through all of it or how far did you get well here's the thing so um i started playing it and was not really digging it at first it was kind of like it's okay whatever and then um i was reading about it then and somewhere i ran across then that um that you had to go through 32 levels four times or whatever and at that point i think Maybe I probably should have read that because that kind of, I don't know, at the same time then it, it affected my view of the game then at that point where it's like, oh man, like that's such a cheap move to lengthen the game, mm-hmm. you know, to say uh, on the box to say like, oh, there's 125 levels, but really it's just four loops of the same 31 levels. Right. And so, uh, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, it, it it's interesting looking at this for me because I'm, again, playing it for the first time here, but I'm comparing it to other games that are similar and trying to figure out, okay, well, what works in those games that isn't present here? You know what I mean? And maybe that's why it wasn't uh, super popular, but the closest thing I can think of that this game reminds me of is the Tower of Draga from Manco. Sure. That one. Um, That one came out like, what, 84 or something like that, or 85, and then like it was on the uh, Famicom a couple years after that. And it's kind of a similar game because you, you move a character through a maze and, you know, get items and equipment. And then, uh, you know, then 
go on from there and there's like 120 some stages or something in that so i just feel like when i was playing it i don't know it's like i knew that they were kind of cutting corners a little bit and there just wasn't a whole lot of reason for me to keep playing but i did i played through 32 levels but i didn't play through all 125 okay yeah and it's i will say that that's a very valid criticism of the game and it's always felt like something at least to me where yeah it was like a cheat it was a gimmick to add more depth add more length when in reality you're not you're not really adding anything you're making you know the same game just four different times okay so the enemies get a little bit faster each time they maybe take an extra shot to kill and starting on the second loop like enemies projectiles will go through walls now so Mm. it takes a little bit more skill to kind of avoid things but once you find the mirror you know then who cares um you know it's i think what uh what's bugging me about this is you know like you said there's items that you're getting and acquiring but there's not really you're, you don't have as a player you don't have a sense of progression and i think that's what was really bugging me is there's not really a hook to keep you going um as far as like you don't level up you don't um i mean you get things randomly but well you do you just don't realize that it's happening oh really uh, and this was the other thing that i was going to bring up and also another element of the game that i did not know about the first several times i played it um it, it, it pays to read the instruction manual on this game mm-hmm. um, for two reasons. One, so you start out, you've got your backpack of consumable items. Mm-hmm. And I think you start with like three slots. And as you kill enemies, like they'll drop a little sack that you can pick up. And it will either just give you points or it might give you extra weapons, you know, or consumable things like that. Um Sometimes it just makes a noise. You don't really know what it's doing. But the, there's four different consumable weapons, or I'm sorry, five that you can get. And it doesn't really explain what any of them do in the game. And it's kind of a trial and error. And sometimes it seems like they work. Sometimes it seems like they don't. Right. Um, one of them is very obvious. It's a fire wand that you just get to shoot fireballs. Uh, they're great because they actually go through walls and mm-hmm. they're more powerful than your bow. So. Mm-hmm. Those are very useful to have. Uh, there's two other items that both kind of look like wands of some sort. One of them is the thunder wand. One of them is the holding stick. The difference is the thunder wand will hurt everything on the screen that's not supernatural. The holy stick will do it for everything that is supernatural. Um, the reason it's kind of a cheat and where I agree with you that you don't really level up or you don't feel you know, a sense of progression is that for the first loop, both of those are strong enough that they'll kind of kill any monster in yeah. one hit. Well, well the, the mini boss characters, I mean, you can, you can stand behind a tree or a wall and use the fire, the fire wand and just uh, destroy them. Right. And even the thunder wand, holy stick, like those will kind of clear the screen the when you use them in the first loop. Starting the second loop, third loop, fourth loop, the enemies get tougher, but those items don't. So oh, yeah. then you're using the thunder wand. It's like, well, it hurts everything, but it's not enough to full out kill them. So you might have to use two wands to clear the screen. So it's it's less effective. It's a diminishing return as you kind of mm-hmm. go along, which is really disappointing. Yeah. Um, you get cured. Really describes my feeling about this whole game. Right. Uh, there's cure potions that you can get, which once you have the ring, who cares? Because um, mm-hmm. you just kind of heal by walking around um the only item that actually is very useful and this will come into play when i start talking tips and tricks later is it looks like a little music box but it's called the ninja stunner that it'll basically stun all the ninjas on the screen which they're a total bitch and they can be a real pain in the ass in the later stages uh, yeah um but otherwise like yeah the consumable weapons they're kind of all on their own but the other part that i was going to talk about which is where you do kind of level up is if there's a way that you can actually look at your character's character sheet Um, between stages, when the screen goes black and it just has the white text that says stage three, stage 12, whatever, if you press select on that screen, it'll actually bring up a a screen that shows like a little picture of Christine and it'll tell you, um, you know, some of her vitals, like her, her race and her name and her, 
the fact that she's an elf, but then it'll also list out all of your inventory and it'll show you those consumable things you have. It'll show you whether you found the ring, the mirror, the amulet. Um, but it also shows you the current bow and the current arrow you have. Hmm. And this is the part that's kind of like leveling up, but it's hidden. Um, you start off the game with what, with the short bow and the short arrow. And sometimes when you pick up an item sack and you just hear a noise and you don't actually acquire anything, what it was actually doing was, was giving you a better bow or a better arrow. And it goes from like short, if from the instruction manual, from short to cross to middle to long to giant to elf to ultimate. And the bow increases at that rate and so do the arrows. And they're more powerful, they go farther. And so it's, it's just this kind of thing where if you didn't know what's happening, it's all in the background. But no idea. Your bow is actually getting stronger and going farther and faster as you progress. But if you didn't know, you can press select on that stage screen. You'd you'd never realize that. Hmm. Um, no idea. Yeah. Uh, the other items that you can pick up in this game are different pieces of armor. There's you, I forget how many hearts you start with, but that's kind of like your your health bar. You have maybe three or four oh i think you start with four hearts but then some of the items you can pick up there's leather armor a shield gauntlet helmet and mantle <clears throat> and essentially each one is just an extra hit point like think of them as like heart containers from zelda um so that's kind of how you can go from starting with four hearts to by the end of the game you effectively hasn't have nine um yeah. and yeah, so, so those kind of always felt like a little bit generic to me too. Like, oh, I found a shield. Oh, well, all it really did was give me an extra hit point. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. And I do think that these are some of the things that made it feel cheap. Like almost like the game was just kind of thrown together. Um, they like had these great ideas, but not enough to really give you much depth. It's kind of like, here's this bare bones idea and then we'll throw some kind of sugar coating on top to make it look cool but the mm -hmm. the substance isn't really there for a lot of it yeah well and i think the other issue with this is um being a very late release did it absolutely no favors no no really to to the detriment here is this style of game is more to me is more synonymous with 1985 maybe 1986 as far as like maybe an early Famicom release or, you know, something that was popular on uh, PCs at the time or something like that. Like, I could see this as being a game that came out of the early to mid-80s as far as being like a, a maze-type game that had a little bit of, of role-playing to it, quote-unquote. And, um, you know, and maybe that is kind of what they were striving for with it. But, again, coming out so late in the life cycle, it's hard to really take this seriously for me at, at the time, considering how much better other games were. Yeah. And, and, th and that's very true. It's surprising that this is what it was for, for that era. Um, yeah. Because so many of the other games that we saw in that very, very late life of the NES were, you know, games like Kirby's adventure games, like mm -hmm. Mega Man six, which, right. you know, despite what you might think about those games, like, technically they were incredible yeah. and what they were showing you was that like okay yeah the super nintendo is coming or is already out and it does all these amazing 16-bit things but look at this kick-ass technology that we're still able to pull off with mm -hmm. an 8-bit system yeah there was still a lot of tricks up up the sleeve definitely know? and, and that, of, uh, i think it's wrath of the black manta that had the bosses you know, they were like the size of the screen almost. They were like huge style bosses. And the way that they did that was make the boss itself part of the background layer of sprites. Right, you right. Know? So just finding that little trickery, you know. Yeah, and, and so it's it does kind of seem surprising that this is what we got in mm -hmm. you know, 1990. Yeah. Um, but as a kid playing it, I wasn't aware of like any of that. I had no yeah. concept of like, oh, this is late in the era, therefore they're technically capable of this like you, you don't process that stuff as a 10 year old i mean um, it depends though i i kind of did at times but maybe that's just because reading magazines and following the 
the hype of the new systems, I guess, at the time. I don't know. I probably would have, had I looked at this as a kid, I probably would have been like, eh, I'm, I'm good. Well, and I also, like, really didn't have much understanding of, like, game release dates, unless it was a game I was anticipating well, there, or... There I mean, it was just, you know, if you looked in the back of Nintendo Power, like, most of the time a game would be like, well, it's going to be August or it's going to be third quarter. Because, you know, if you read Console Wars, if you read stuff like that, I mean a lot of these games were just kind of shipped and, and done when they were done. And so, you know, like I said before, on one of the other shows, like I was on, we were on vacation when I saw Mega Man two in the store, you know, and it's just like, man, I really wanted that. And up getting pro wrestling instead, but you know, <laughs> I don't know, it's just, that's how it was back then. Unless it, unless it was a huge, huge release. I mean, um, I don't know. I couldn't tell you when the first actual release date was, well, and I, the point I was kind of more making was that seeing this on a shelf, it wasn't, you know, new in a store. It was, yeah, yeah. you know, for, for all I knew, it had been sitting there for six years. And Well, it probably was. If it was a KB Toys, it was probably covered in dust and had about eight <laughs> price stickers on it. But So, yeah, I think like, born, you know, yeah, I would maybe would have looked at this differently if I was renting it in, you know, 1990, knowing... Yeah. And, and knew that it was a brand new title versus, you know, for all I knew, this was one of the earliest NES games. I had no yeah. idea. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And it's interesting, though, too. Again, like I said, coming back to this now and, and examining like the, the indie boom that we've had over the last few years where, you know, the, the 8-bit pixel style is absolutely huge. I mean, you know, there's tons and tons of games that have this art style now. And I was thinking about that, too, with, again my my thoughts with it having the, the progression the hook and i thought about it i was comparing it to some other indies that i've played lately and um, one of the ones i played recently on the switch was uh Kamiko. and it's a little uh game kind of like this where you you have a character and you um there's five or six stages and you have to um activate like four shrines in each level which would then take you to the exit and you fight a boss and there's three different characters it was like three dollars it's really good but I got to thinking the other the other hook I guess um, for modern indie games that are kind of like Arcista's Ring is that you usually have this eight um, bit style soundtrack and maybe it's like a NES techno type sound or something and I feel like that is also kind of like a hook nowadays for this style of game like if you took this and made it as a three dollar indie game and put like a techno chip tune soundtrack to it. I mean, I would probably sit here and play 120 some levels, but and I don't know why. It, it's something as simple as that. Even if it's not like progression, it's still like it's a reason to keep playing, I guess. So I don't know. It's it's interesting looking at it psychologically, like how these games are meant to sort of draw you in, or what they don't do to draw you in. In this case, like you know, you're you're running a maze, kind of like it feels like in the first Dragon Warrior. You know, when you're walking through the dungeons. But in Dragon Warrior, at least, like your character is gaining XP, you're gaining levels, you're getting stronger, and I just didn't get that feeling in this game. But like you said, with the the bows and the arrows, I completely missed that. So I don't know. Yeah, and it's it's not surprising to me. Um, I I love your comparison of this to kind of the the modern indie games, and mm-hmm. you know, as as we kind of said, you know, Sammy is not well known for having tons of great games and mk didn't have a yeah, huge I mean, roster so this is sammy got bought by sega you know a few years back so it's like that it was sega sammy and even well sammy in the um early 2000s they tried to get into the arcade business again with the atomis wave uh, which was sort of supposed to be a successor to the neo geo but uh, that was shortly then when, when they got merged. They were Sega Sammy for a little while. And now I think it's just kind of been absorbed. But yeah, yeah I, would, I would say maybe Ninja Warriors. I think actually, you know, I think I'm wrong on that. I think Ninja Warriors was Taito. But I think Twin Cobra was probably uh, one of one of their most famous games. And even yeah. that wasn't like super well known. Yeah, that was probably the biggest. Um, I remember it, you know, getting yeah. a decent amount of coverage from... I just feel like they had a power, but being sort of a budget developer. Sure, sure. Yeah, I don't know. I think that it, it it is weird to see this game like feel so indie and be so small, and mm. it's it just kind of really does show you the difference between you know a 
2018 perspective versus a 1992 perspective because exactly exactly like this king i mean it it could have been sort of a um a precursor to that i guess the other thing is you know with this having a set amount of levels and they're all the exact same you know these days it would not be uncommon outside of you know being a pixel style game to also be a roguelike where you'd have randomized levels and so i think yeah you know this that would be another comparison i would say like I like those style of games and I play them. And I think those are some of the other things that draw me into this st- sort of basic gameplay is that the levels are going to be randomized. Uh, you know, Binding of Isaac is another one, like, you know, where you get random equipment and random combinations and the levels are all different and it's just infinitely replayable. But it, it's got hooks that to keep you going, which is, like I said, the, the XP or the weapons or whatever. And I just didn't feel that here. But it's, yeah, it, it's, it's really. I shouldn't compare that too much, though. It's not really fair to this game as far as when it came out and released. But I guess you could you could see where these modern sensibilities come from. Well, and it's just surprising too that this game didn't have more kind of depth to it. Yeah. Um, because I know that they were capable of it. Like they could program games. I mean, they they were also. I mean, it was a year later, but um, they did Vice Project Doom, mm-hmm. which. That was you know, great. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great game. It has a lot of accomplishment and good graphics, good depth, and kind of got that same cinematic story that like a Ninja Gaiden does. Yeah. I mean, so that was a year later. I don't know how long they were developing it, but you know, clearly Sammy had this technology and capability. Um, it, it could depend on the developer team too. You know, maybe this is a passion project of, with a couple of developers or you know, just something that was done as a, a hobby game. I don't know. Like, there's just, there's so little information out there. Uh, yeah, and that's kind of what makes it difficult. Uh, you would just think that if they had the, they had enough memory to put 124 stages in it, like, why not Varium? I mean, hell, even the arcade version of Gauntlet, like, said, okay, once you run through the stages 100 times, you go them again, but we're going to rotate them 90 degrees. Like, that's at least yeah. something. Like, right. Or they're painted blue or something. Yeah, move the secret, you know, the the tree that you can knock down, you know, that's the secret path, like move stuff. But, Mm. you know, it was, it really was the same other than monsters are now slightly faster and maybe take an extra hit. So The only other thing I could think of is if this game was done as kind of just something on the cheap, like a a cash-in, you know, it's fairly easy to uh, replicate tile sets in these kind of games and not have them take up a lot of memory. I mean, you know, there's only so many objects in the game. So it could have just been the fact that, okay, we want to make, you know, a basic, some basic kind of game on just the smallest memory chip available so that, you know, we can, we don't have to charge a whole lot. We're not going to lose a lot of money on this investment and just make something quick, you know, and that could be another reason for the repetition as well. Right. In fact, I think that was kind of part of maybe it was a cost based decision too because if you notice and this i don't know if you notice this but when i was playing um you know the music's always playing in the background but if you happen to if you are shooting while the melody is playing the melody stops until like the next the next refrain and it just picks up again because it it seems like i think what they did is they recorded the sound effect track on the same track as the music track you know, yeah, which was right. probably to save memory and save space. Cause so that kind of bugged me. Like, you know, the more that you shoot, like the music kind of drops out a little bit. So, well, you know, the other thought that I had about this too, as we we're kind of speculating on what could have been or what was going on behind the scenes. Um, I, when I was trying to do any sort of research to find, you know, regional differences or Easter eggs or things like that. The only thing I came across was, um, Basically, from from a website that I reference quite a bit, uh, the Cutting Room Floor, they have a list of somewhere in the neighborhood of like two dozen unused sprites mm. that were basically programmed. They were drawn out. They they weren't fully finished, so it obviously the the palette isn't complete enough to be in the game. Uh, so they scrapped it, you know, pr- fairly early in development. But a dozen sprites is a lot. Yeah. And it makes me think that there actually was more uh, content or ideas that they had thrown around that they just didn't use. Like I'm looking at the list here and there's 
you know, like five or six here that just look like, you know, standard enemies. They could be anything. Uh, here's one for a dinosaur that's like, uh, appears to be, you know, like two sprites wide. Um, mm-hmm. And there's some wizards, there's some ghosts. There's one that kind of looks like a vampire bat that, you know, looks like it even can transform from vampire into bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a whole section of like people that, you know, they listed in a category of NPCs, but yeah, there's just like a woman, there's this old man, there's, you know, kind of guy looks like a merchant. Now, if you play this game, there are no NPCs or friendly characters anywhere. Everything is an enemy. So that makes me think that they had other ideas to maybe make this more of an RPG or make this something like hell, even Zelda had, you know, characters that you could buy things from, um, you know, and, and when you look at some of the other sprites too, there were things like there's a sword sprite. There's one of Christine kind of kneeling. There's, you know, graves and ruined doors and things like that, that it, it just, when you look at all of this, it makes it me think that they had aspirations to make this more than just this kind of maze runner repetition game. And, you know, had had not only the ambition, but like had done some of the legwork to make it such. <laughs> and then at the last minute, either scrapped it or didn't have the time, got their budget pulled. Something, you know, went down because this is a lot of unused information. Yeah. Yeah, there's a ton there. And it, yeah, like you said, it makes me think that there was probably a lot more stuff planned you know, going through the towns or, you know, going into people's houses and, and talking to NPCs and it just wasn't there. But yeah. I think that's a memory issue. I think it's, you know, we don't have enough space on this cart to put all this stuff. So trim it down, you know, to the bare minimum. Let's just get this game out by Christmas and hope that it recoups its profit. I, I can just totally see that as being a business decision. Right. What we saw on the um, cutting room floor. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And like I said, you know, Vice Project Doom a year later, so it's not like they were getting ready to sell off to Sega or move on right. to yeah, other that was systems. Years, you know, years down the road. So Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, do you have any other thoughts about this game? I've got a little bit of a tip and trick section I want to get to, but um I think we've kind of covered the the main bases, but anything you wanna get to? Um, you know, I just want to talk about the uh the ninja death tunnel a little bit uh, <laughs> how incredibly frustrating it is um well let's save that because that's going to be okay well we'll save some advice but, um i will say that um something else that kind of bugs me about this game a little bit is just the um the movement patterns of the enemies just seem a little bizarre to me and, and a little out there because they seem kind of random and it just you know it, it doesn't always make sense as to which way the character. So I don't know. That just kind of bothered me when I was playing through it a little bit. Yeah, there's a there's a couple of them that like fly in this weird zigzag pattern, which it's actually a pretty good. Um, I guess you can use a strategy. Like once you got to figure out where they're going to go, you can kind of position yourself in a place to hit them. There's a couple others, and I'm not going to give this game enough credit to say that oh they intentionally program them to move this way, um, but like there's a spot where if, if you like go right up to the corner and kind of wait for them to come around, like they won't, but like, if you back up, they back up. It's like they mirror your move and oh, it's really hard to explain what I'm trying to say, but like, yeah, they won't come around the corner to hit you because they know you're there almost, but it's really just that they're mirroring what you do. And yeah, I noticed that there's several times in the game where you try to strategically place yourself somewhere, but really what it comes down to is you just have to kind of bum rush your way in, which is tough since you have a ranged weapon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's weird because um, the later on that you get into the game, you know, you get enemies that really pressure you, and they just like I felt like a lot of times that I I would die because I get too close to an enemy, and then it would just stick to you like glue. And it would like every time you move, it would just move with you and you would take damage every time. Yeah. And that's where it's incredibly difficult to move in such a way that you can take a quick step away and also turn and fire. Like it's, it's very hard and mm-hmm. it's very easy to die when you're trying to get away. It did, yeah. Several times. So. Um, yeah. So that kind of leads into my tips and tricks too. So yeah, if you're, you've said what you said, we can talk Ninja Death Tunnel. 
Yeah, go for it. Tips and tricks. So the as Wes was kind of alluding, and I, and I love the fact that we've now coined this term Ninja Death Tunnel because well, we could probably apply it to a lot of NES games, really. Well, we were talking off mic, and yeah, I mean, we've, this is now our third game with the Ninja Death Tunnel. We um, definitely had one in Ninja Spirits. I guess you could argue one that in the final stage of TMNT, like mm-hmm. that they were on rockets, but they count. Ninja, oh, Rocket Ninja Death Tunnel. <laughs> that band name right there. Um, yeah, Good so starting Rocket Ninja Death Tunnel. I'll, I'll be your producer. How about that? Damn it. <laughs> well, okay, then you got to bring the van, and we got to drive all the shit around in the van. Then I get. The, I'll get the van. I'll I'll handle that. Very cool. Um, so yeah, as we said, there's 31 stages here. The ninjas kind of start to show up around. 26 or so Mm -hmm. which is really funny when they do because this game definitely plays up the typical you know medieval fantasy game and you're an elf you're killing goblins and wizards and pixies and crap like that and then all of a sudden it's like all right and now here there's ninjas Mm -hmm. uh the only reason i could think of was because it was 1990 and ninjas were fucking cool back then well and ninjas were everywhere in games i mean you yeah, know, you you watch any episode of Contendo or anything where you know it's like, oh, here's another ninja game. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. So ninjas were everywhere, especially here, and everywhere, and you couldn't see them. They were no no doubt about it. The most difficult part of this game. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, when you get to stage thirty one and have to fight the Shogun, he's a he's a total pushover compared to what you go through before that. Um, most of the ninja levels aren't too bad, but I'll, I'll just prepare everybody. And this is, you know, the tip that I have for you is that room 30 will beat the living hell out of you if you're not prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way the room works is it's, it is kind of a big maze. And as I said before, the format is that once you kill a certain number of enemies, a key shows up. Now the key doesn't always simply unlock the door to the next stage, there are some rooms where there's like several doors throughout the room and the key, once you get the key, that's how you can access those other areas. And this is one of those cases where the interesting thing about the maze is that there's, I don't know, something like 30 different staircases in the room and they're all fake except for one. And it's randomized every time you play. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, like four or five of those staircases are behind locked doors. The rest are not. So this is where they kind of trick you when you when you get to the stage is you just for 29 levels now have been going through this pattern of you kill all the monsters, get the key, then you can exit. Well, they throw that throw a wrench in this for two reasons in this stage. One, you actually don't necessarily need the key to leave. If if that staircase that you need is not behind those doors, you could go straight to it. Mm. Um, also, this is one of the only stages I can think of where once you get the key, monsters will still keep coming. Um, all of the others getting that key kind of puts an end to the monsters. And in this one, if you take too much time, more ninjas show up. Um, so the best advice I can give for this stage is that there's two types of ninjas in, in here. And I forget what color they're, they are. There's like green and one's maybe like an olive or a, maybe he's red. I don't remember, but the green ones aren't too bad, but there's a lot of them. And then there's the one color that's way tougher. Um, and if they like land on you, they do two hits every time they hit you and you can't get away from them. Uh, the best thing you can do is one of two things. You can either hope for the best and have stockpiled as many ninja stunners as you can get. And as soon as the stage starts, drop one, which will put all of the ninjas to sleep for about three or four seconds. While they're asleep, just start running to every staircase you can find and hope that you get the right one. If you don't and they wake up, use another ninja stunner, keep running, and you know try to find the staircase. This method will work probably four times out of five. But on that fifth time, that door is going to be, or that staircase is going to be behind one of the locked doors, and then you're screwed because you have no way to kill all of these ninjas. Mm-hmm. So your other option is, I like to save one fire wand and then as many ninja stunners as I can get, and use the fire wand right away because it'll help kill the ninjas. 
and then as soon as they show up, use the stunner, kill as many as you can. When more show up, use a stunner, kill as many as you can, get the key, and then that'll at least give you the option to get past the other doors. The reason that this method is risky is that by the time you get the key, you've used almost all of your inventory. Mm-hmm. And like I said, more ninjas are going to come. And when they do, you got nothing left to kill them. So <laughs> it's there, there's really no great way to get through this stage other than you kind of have to just get lucky and hope you find that staircase before you get hosed. Um, as I said, you have 10 continues in this game. The first time I played through this, I think I used like seven of them just getting through this room. Jeez. So it's uh, it's tough. And that's just the first loop. By the time you get to loop three and loop four, this is just hell on earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's another reason why, um, you know, when I first looked at the uh, at, at it having four loops to it and having only 10 continues, like immediately I was just kind of like, get this, man. <laughs> like, this is crazy. So. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, too, because that does add that extra little... Uh, I guess, layer of depth or challenge to it because yeah, when you just play through the 31 stages and you're like, why did they give me 10 continues? I didn't need all of these. Like maybe you use three or four of them if you're you know new to the game, but you just think like that's such overkill. Mm-hmm. And then kind of halfway through the second loop when you realize like, oh, it's the same 10 continues that I have to use for all 124 stages. <laughs> like, yeah. That kind of puts it into perspective and you realize like, huh, maybe I'm screwed here. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I, I do kind of like it. I enjoy that little twist that they throw at where it's like, uh, now do it three more times and see if you saved enough. You know, now that you got the hang of it, see if you can do it, you know, three more times. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, I will say that making it through all 124 stages is it's no easy feat. No, no, it's definitely not. But again, if like as I said, if there was just some kind of hook to to keep me playing, I probably would play through the entire game. But as it is, I I played through thirty one levels, and uh, it started on you know I I started the second loop, and I was like, I'm good. Like I I've gotten my fill of this game. Sure. Yeah, and I think that's not an unreasonable response. And yeah. Or I should say, it, it's not one that surprises me. So yeah, I I get where it's coming from. You know, I think it's just it was released way too late for anybody to really pay attention to it. And, you know, I I see where it's getting its influences from and I see where games are influenced by it. But I just think that there's better games out there like this. Right. So would you recommend this to people or Um, just kind of avoid it? Well, it depends. I guess I would say if, if you have, you know, other ways to play it through emulation or or whatever, if you want to try it, I'd say it might be worth checking out. But um, unless I was a hardcore collector trying to go for a full set, I don't know if I would really seek this cartridge out, at least not for, you know, $25, $30. To me, like, this this feels like a, a $4 indie game. It feels like a like a $10 clearance game at Toys R Us or KB Toys. And I, right. I just can't... I can't see paying more than that for it, but your mileage may vary. I mean... Um, you know, if, if you're into these kind of games, I guess, you know, it might be worth checking out, but it didn't really do a whole lot for me. But. Yeah, it, it it is one of those things that I think is kind of sad that it's now a $25 cart yeah. because it's one of the things that I think is so fascinating about the retro gaming collection, you know, kind of industry is that for the most part, games aren't priced based on how popular they are or how, you know, high profile they were. It's... Hmm purely just a question of how rare they were, how many of them were printed, um, which is why I could go out right now and buy, you know, the legend of Zelda for 12 bucks, but I have to spend twice that to get this. Yeah. And I, a lot of it too, I think is also um, there. I think there's a lot of hype culture buildup with retro game shows. And especially, you know, for a lot of us that have been in, have collected for a long time. Like I collected a lot in the early two thousands when stuff was cheap. And now that things are more expensive, I'm not as inclined to do it as much now, but you know, there's, there's more at stake with, um, you know, people trying to drive up prices of games either by, you know, trying to mention that it's a hidden gem or, you know, you might see it on another YouTuber show. And then all of a sudden then several videos pop up and, you know, it becomes this big thing. And then 
you know, the, the game, there's a crazy demand all of a sudden, and then it starts going for ridiculous prices. And so I mean, that's the that's just the the nature of the bubble of the retro craze right now is that, you know, some of the stuff is just insanely overpriced, I think. Right. So, yeah, I mean, and I, I don't know whether a $20 or $25 price tag is going to do this game a service or, you know, if it's going to hurt it. Because I, I think that if you saw this cartridge for $3.99, you'd be inclined to pick it up. Yeah. But, but I also I think... Would, if I would have bought this from a game crazy, you know, probably 10 years ago for like $3 and probably been like, yeah, it's all right for 3 bucks. But at the same time, I think that if you don't know much about it and you see it on a shelf you know, oh, it's a disc replay and I haven't been there in a while and all of a sudden here's this $25 card I've never heard of. Mm. Oh, it must be good because it's 25 bucks. Like uh, That's the danger of it, though. You don't want to I know. get in that mindset, though. Right. So I, I, I don't know how many people are really going to seek this out or whether the price that it has is good for it or not. Uh, my overall recommendation would be one where it, it, it kind of echoes you, although I'm more positive on the game than you are. Mm. Uh, mostly, I'm fully willing to admit is a nostalgia based thing but and that's totally uh, fine i mean i i totally acknowledge that you know uh, um that you've got some some nostalgia for the game based on that and that's that's perfectly okay uh, yeah and, and i think the game is fun i think that it has like i said an extra level of depth that is absolutely not apparent mm-hmm. um read the instruction manual before you play uh, listen to what we talked about in the in the episode. Like, there's nothing here that we had spoiled, but you know, knowing that there are four loops and that you have to kind of ration your continues, knowing that your bow actually does improve as you go along, and you know, things like that. Like, that adds more to it. It's just a shame that none of that is very clearly explained. And without knowing that, yeah, it just feels like you know a, a phone game. You know to use modern terminology mm-hmm. and not much a, more than that Steam game, you know, like a, a steam sale indie game or, or something you'd see on the switch. Yeah. So I would recommend it. I just wouldn't get too excited or also don't get too disappointed if it's not the greatest thing ever, because uh, mileage is going to vary depending on the, the player. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I think it was worth talking about and maybe oh, it absolutely. opened. No, I, yeah. And I, I'm not, um, trying to dog on this game at all as far as uh um you know anything like that i i really do enjoy like discovering these games that i haven't played before but uh you know they're they're not all going to be winners but uh that's that's kind of the joy of it too of, of sort of taking these games and deconstructing them a little bit as far as you know what works what doesn't and you know for those of us that that still play games a lot you know what can we compare this to now and how to how do games of today do things better than the games of yesterday? So right. I like discussing stuff like that. So, all right. So uh, I think overall, good, good discussion. A lot of retro talk about, you know, game rentals and Wes's porn shops and whatnot, but you know, hey man, you know, when the place, when it's called the short line, you know what to expect <laughs> when you're going in there. All right. You know, you're going to get an egg out of the machine. You're going to get a soda out of the bin. And you're gonna go rent yourself a copy of Gator Bait. Just watch for the raccoon tail. <laughs> right, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, you were talking about having the tags on the games at your video store, but you know, at the short line, they had just these little metal washers. They were painted washers, and you just took the you know the little washer up to rent your uh, discreet gentleman's video. Um, you know, you didn't take the box up there or anything. Like, <laughs> like I'm gonna take this box of fruit loops and these kleenex and this copy of gator bait you know no you just had a little tag and it said you know 16 on it and they just got number 16 and there you go so uh classics yeah all right so we've got a uh, new graveyard duck challenge coming up for next week right we do yes we do all right why don't you lay this out for us so uh this week's graveyard duck challenge is going to be a time attack on f0 on the super nes and uh, what we decided was um, this is going to be a time trial on track number two, which is Big Blue. And what we're going to look for is um, not in the Grand Prix mode, but in the practice mode um, where you can practice any track. Um, you're going to select Big Blue and um, just just yourself on there, no, uh, no rivals. And let's see what the best time is. 
So yep, you uh, can be any driver. We don't yeah, anybody that you want. Um, you know, no rivals. Practice mode, big blue, and let's see who can get the fastest time. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I I think this will be a fun one. F Zero has been one of my all time favorite games for a very long time, but I'll yeah. admit that my skill is not great. Yeah. So. I'm looking forward. If this is like any of our other challenges, it really kind of is going to push me to improve my skill and mm -hmm. take the take this from the casual level to a little bit more of a competitive streak. So yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, especially with F Zero, you've got three turbos to use, and uh, you've got your L and R shoulder buttons to kind of fine tune your turning. So I think we're going to get some really um, competitive times going on here because there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of fun to be had there so yeah. I, I hope you look forward to that um please don't forget to send your um your photo of, of your time and uh put the hashtag graveyard duck challenge in there and you can do that on our facebook group you can do that on twitter um, you can follow us on instagram if you want to do that there and uh now you can follow us on discord and uh you know We'll post another link to our Discord group. But uh, if you want to post the Graveyard Duck Challenge on there, um, you know, we've got a lot of good discussion going on there. So uh, do that. But um, whatever you do, just hashtag Graveyard Duck Challenge and uh, let's see who the winner is. Yeah. All right. Looking forward to that one. Looking forward to our episode for two weeks from now. This was yeah. going back to Wes's picks. So um, th I think you got a good one. Draft, I guess, um, you know, when it, I'm not going to give too much away, but uh, um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be another one of, you know, where we kind of rediscover something that we've probably set aside before. Yep. But, uh, so look forward to that. It's going to be fun. All righty. So uh, lots of good things to look forward to. Like you said, lots of good discussions all around. So follow us on the social medias and see all the things we're posting. And mm -hmm. every one of those avenues is different. So yeah. Check the check the Instagram, check the Twitter, check the Facebook and the Discord. They're mm -hmm. they're all fun. They're all different things, and we try to get out there. So anyway, um, hope you enjoy it and keep with us. And until we are back in two weeks with a brand new episode, I'm Scott and I'm Wes. And uh, just to let you know, in case there's ever any uh, nerd trivia night somewhere, um, the main character of Arkista's Ring is not Arkista; it's Christine. So. Uh, if you want to be the um, the big nerd at your table and and know that at quiz night, uh, there's your tip. So, good luck. and if that comes up in a trivia question, please call in. Right? Yeah, I want to hear about that. Game over.